which is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, Christian Matska, and Perry Chicos. Welcome to the show, everyone. We are a few people short. This is a round table. It's more of like a square table today. Uh, we wanted to have a, a, a little bit of a bigger show. Uh, people might join in a little bit later, but we are here to discuss uh, in the final episode of our Blomkamp coverage, uh, essentially the reaction to what we've talked about before. But before we get into that, Patrick. Before we do, and before we get into how everybody's doing, I want to say we have had, again, the best month in Patreon we have ever had. And thank you so much to every single person who has signed up. We had four people sign up today as we record this, which is just unprecedented. It is giving us so much energy and momentum as we finish this film. And uh, and if anybody uh, who's on our Patreon knows, we've been putting a lot of really cool behind-the-scenes stuff. Maj, our DP, has been doing some incredible work that uh, you can only really see there. So if you're interested in joining, please go to patreon.com slash perfectorganism or go to perfectorganism.com slash support. And before I read the names off, I want to do a special little heads up that we are going to be doing something special in terms of including patrons in the credits of this film. And I don't want to say too much more you know, on that yet. But if you are supporting us, you should know that your work will be very directly rewarded and that you'll be getting a credit of some kind in this in this short film. So that's, you know, one small way to to make sure that you feel that we recognize you the way that you recognize us. And hopefully you've been enjoying the content. We've got a lot coming out. We just dropped uh, our first episode of The Last of Us on HBO, uh, a frame rate on that yesterday, probably the most requested episode we've gotten in a very long time. And uh, so if you want to hear that, head over there. And without further ado, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read all of our March patrons because you deserve it and because it's the last thing we're recording this month and I want to make sure you get in there. So going back to March 1st, we have Ian Hughes, Nick Bro, Jacob Abraham, Hannah Toops, Francisco Martinez, Frederick Faith, Ross Yost, Elliot Rocca, Ian Dunn, Zeno Queen, Tom Prentice, Brian McKnight, Nick Cannon, Gavin Hay, and Joshua Rivers. We are so grateful to have you. So thank you so much to everybody who joined. And um, last thing I'll say is although we are short-ish on staff tonight, we are not short on voices because we are going to be getting to a lot of the things that you've been writing into us with, a lot of the comments you've had. So you all really are basically on this roundtable with us. So buckle up. And let's do some Blomkamp. 
And before we get into Blomkamp, I just want to also uh, let everyone know that Xander, who is our social media guy and all around extraordinaire, is also on this call with us. He's in the chat room uh, giving us his info. So welcome, Xander. And I'm excited to talk about or finish talking about Blomkamp. And as we do, Perry, who hasn't had a chance to discuss his reaction to Blomkamp, what do you think? Like you've heard episode one and two, obviously you've been around since, you know, the beginning when they made the announcement or Blomkamp made the announcement-ish uh, via IG. What do you think about all of this stuff? Yeah, thanks, Jamie. And what up, Sander? Glad to have you here, man, All as always. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of give you guys a little bit of the of the dish of, of what I've experienced through the time that all of this information has come out and... Um, you know, as, as we've chatted through the weeks and things and, and leading up and, and listening to past episodes and from my experience specifically, um, just personally for, so that you guys know, like the time of my life, I think that things, um, that this information was coming out, I was really kind of in my own world and like really only watching the alien movies that I liked. And I, I wasn't fully immersed in the world of the online forums and just the social media around things like that. I mean, at the time, like all I really knew of Blomkamp was District 9, um, Elysium, uh, Chappie then and things like that. But I, I wasn't really in the realm of knowing how that was or what he was putting out was affecting, you know, things that, that Ridley Scott was maybe doing or, or how it would affect, then affect covenant. Um, so I really learned a lot of that stuff through you guys and, and have kind of experienced it secondhand a little bit feelings on it though. You know, like I can definitely tell you like right off the bat, right? Like a project or a film like that definitely would have really excited me. I think obviously, I mean, if Sigourney was coming back as Ripley and Jamie to your point, just saying like, Hey, we're getting Ripley back again and, and things like that. Even if it's, even if he's diverging from the story a little bit or, um, you know, it being some time after, right after Aliens or or however it would have fit in the timeline, even if it was going to be like an Alien 5 sort of film. I know just by like how I consume Alien content, I probably really would have enjoyed it. Um, like I really enjoyed, I enjoyed Prometheus. I, I enjoyed Covenant for what it was. Um, there's definitely some things I didn't, I want to say didn't like, but I, I guess thought about it differently in, in a way that I, I was just like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. I, I wasn't, you know, just certain things maybe they, they did with David or the creature and, and whatnot. I just think there's some great things to keep in mind all while during this project. Cause I, I feel like there's two sides or two or three, maybe sides of how everybody feels about this whole project and, and what bomb camp kind of like threw into the pot. And then what we ended up eventually getting, alien covenant with ridley and there's this time of where we're like moving into streaming fully right and this is mind us all before covid was going to happen right so i think there was just like this this um change in the game a little bit of of how things were being played out back before streaming really and media there was always the promise of the dvd release so you could make a movie you could put 50 million dollars into it and uh you were 
you felt much better about the investment you were making because you knew if it, Hey, maybe it didn't do that great in the theater. You had the DVD release coming out. So you were going to get all this money back. Right. Nowadays, if you made a $50 million movie, you'd then spend another 50 million on marketing. So all in all, you'd actually need to make a hundred million just from the film, the theater release in theaters to, to even break even on a film. And I know he's generalizing and, and using the numbers so we can all understand. So I can understand it. <laughs> but um, I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, oh, my God. And and that was that mindset was probably going on even before COVID because everything was turning to streaming. I know that's a huge helicopter view, but what I'm trying to get at is like, I think there was so much going on studio wise, right? Like Ridley pulls like such a, an influence, especially in the alien films as it's almost like his child a little bit, um, or is his child. I'm sure we could all say. So I just wonder if Blomkamp, I just don't know. I think that's why it was like wild, like cowboy wild westing it a little bit and like putting all this stuff out there to try and gain some wanted people to like really be excited about this project and things like that. Right. But then on the other end of it, why the studio, why things probably just didn't work out and really coming back in and, and us getting covenant a little bit. And so it's just like, it's hard to think about those sorts of business decisions being made because I feel like we're all artists in this realm and, and we love to look at film cinematically in a through a lens or in an investigative way, or just as we talk about it together as friends and in what we want. And Christian, you said, you said, we're all bringing our own hopes and dreams for what this thing is or what we want out of this. Um, And I just thought that was a really great line. I was just like, yeah, we really are because we fucking love these movies and we love these characters so much. And so it's like, I can see where, um, you might feel a certain way about bringing Ripley back or having Hicks or taking the story in a different direction and, or really loving that if you really hated alien three and you know, and what we got from resurrection. Right. And then Patrick, you also said uh, Jurassic worldification of the whole franchise. You brought that up and I, and I just, um, I laughed a little bit and I was like, yeah, but truly I think Hollywood is, needing to make films in a certain way now because it it sadly kind of is all about money right and what they're going to make or if they're going to break even or whatever unless you're james freaking cameron and have a shit ton of money and you can make avatar two and three and four however many avatars he wants to make but he has so much money that i don't think i think obviously there's certain people out there that um don't really care if they maybe lose money on a project because they are so artistic in a in a sense that like it's for them it's all about the movie if you want to make a movie you want then you kind of got to be james fucking cameron and put up all your own money in a sense right whereas blomkamp i don't know if he was in that sort of at that level yet whereas ridley scott i feel like was definitely on a level where the studios kind of would let him do whatever he wants unfortunately ridley in a way was like trying to people please everybody that we got what we got and so i'll sort of end it there
yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for Romulus, honestly. And um, I hope they kind of keep us in the dark a little bit because uh, to all of your points, like I feel like as much as they, as Ridley or the marketing team, the, the trailer people that made that and showed us what we got, um, it kind of, it kind of ruined the surprise of what that film was going to be uh, for me a little bit. And I know probably for other people too. So I just, I kind of hope that they keep us in the dark and I'm, I'm really excited for what, what's to come. And I just, I just really hope that we can, that we can salvage or maintain some foundation of artistic cinematic, you know, elements in these film in what Fede Alvarez is, is trying to bring to us. And in a way that Prey did, I feel like Prey was great. The cast was great. The story was awesome. And then too, what the Noah Hawley series could, could eventually turn into. So I don't, I, I try to keep my expectations low these days, but um, it's, it's more in a sense to just be, to just really consume things um, in a way, especially with this franchise that has so much nostalgia behind it for me. So I can like, no matter what we get, just like really, truly enjoy that. Awesome. Andy is joining us. Hi. Hey. Perfect good. timing. Hey, Perfect Andy. Timing. All good. Yeah. A little crazy. We just kind of but... got started. So thanks, Perry, for that. Uh, there was a lot to that that I I, I, I think is interesting and that I'd like to address. Um, and we can address that as we read the comments. But joining us right now, uh, a little bit late, but never too late is Andy Geek Girl. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, so now we have a little bit more of a round table. It's not as square as it was before. Uh, as we continue talking about this and reading user feedback or, or listener feedback, I should say, uh, there's one thing I've, I've two things that I wanted to mention. One is a question for Patrick specifically, but before I get that to that question, uh, what popped up in my Facebook history was, or Facebook memories was a, a post made by Michael Bean. It was a, a, an Instagram post that he made that I've shared to Facebook. And I just want to read it really quick. So he says, the official Michael Bean, it's official. I will be reprising my role as corporal, not for long, Dwayne Hicks with the go ahead. Hicks will return with Ripley in mid 2017. Perhaps Hicks and Ripley will eventually get to second base in this one. So this, I just wanted to read that to everyone to know how real this was. That's a very real thing. Someone contacted him. Someone, and I would imagine they did, like, unless he's just going off his own assumptions, it seemed fairly official that he was confirming, much like David Bautista, when he was cast in um, Blade Runner 2049, he made a tw post on Twitter saying, I've been cast in one of the, uh, uh, one of the you know, greatest film IPs of all time. And he kind of talked about it a little bit. And to me, this post by Michael Bean was a ver the very same thing. He had probably been contacted by someone official at Fox or Mike, um, or Neil Blomkamp himself. So again, just a little window into what was going on at the time, but it was confusing. Um, and kind of jumping to my question for Patrick, Patrick, do you think that this film could have been good? It could have been amazing. Could have blown our minds. That is a loaded diaper of a question, my friend. And before I answer it, let me, my, my, my personal journey on this little mini series that we're doing has been interesting. And I think it has been summed up beautifully by Christian who has done this uh, a few times, first with the Covenant being an exquisite corpse idea, and then again with this Blomkamp thing being being a Rorschach test. I That unlocked something for me about the way that I've been considering this movie. And then Andy came on, and she unlocked something else, and Christian had mentioned this as well, 
that maybe I was seeing these characters and I was assuming that it was going to be a happy ending and that it was going to be comfortable for them. And I honestly had never even considered that maybe I was bringing too much of myself to this and my own fears and expectations and anxieties. And so I never had even given it a chance, honestly. And I had become kind of blinded by that, blinded by my own subjective reception of this, you know, unmade movie, and then blinded further by how much fighting had happened about it that I had been, you know, from where I sit at the butt end of, but I guess, you know, maybe I was also instigating things myself, but maybe I still am (laughs) on these episodes. So that is to say, to get to your question, that I have a fuller understanding now of how little I really know about what this would have been. And that opens the door to the possibility that it could have been great. And I really mean that, you know, Um, it could have been magnificent. I still stand by my personal feelings that it would not have been based on the quality of his other work and based on how inconsistent he's been. And I am having to hold myself back a little bit from making more opinions about it because then I look at what he did, in my opinion, intentionally as Covenant was coming out and of the campaigns that I know he was trying to get started and looking at that negatively. And that starts to color what I think about the movie. So if I go on what we know, you know, which is that this takes place something like 30 years after the events of the second film and that there might have been a newt coming back and that there definitely was a Hicks in it. There was probably a Bishop in it and there was definitely a Ripley or at least a Sigourney Weaver in it. How am I to say that would have been a bad movie? I really don't know. You know, the concept art I think is really good. I think that's a major reason why it has been such a persistent idea in people's heads because he had great professionals put it together. Um, but as we're going to see in a little bit, when we get to listener comments, like it really, I feel like maybe we as a fandom are more ambivalent and confused about this thing than we ever have been before, because now it's been long enough that we have some distance from our initial kind of, you know, hubbub and excitement and fighting. And we can look at it with this kind of almost approaching objective lens and, um, I, I want to thank all of you for giving me, giving me more angles to look at this thing through. You know, I, 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 it could have been a good movie. I really don't know. I think it's uh, fairly interesting to talk about Blomkamp and that kind of era in fandom and in the studio system. And it was a mess. It was a mess. It really, really was. And I, I feel like it's been a mess since 92 or since 91 or 90 when they started making Alien 3. Fox had mishandled that IP from day one, even though uh, arguably, in my opinion, we've got a masterpiece out of Alien 3. The studio was a mess and they con- and they were just rolling or like a snowball that kept gathering more snow and dirt and rocks. And it just kept going and going and going. I love my metaphors. <laughs> um, culminating into Alien Covenant, where it was this, it was unclear. We've, we've talked about that before, but I I really have enjoyed talking about about this in light of what's to come, where it hasn't been a mess. They've been very clear on what they're doing. They've been very clear to the fans. There's been no, I mean, again, I I mentioned this before, they told us right away, the Holy Series is not going to be a Ripley story. 
the Fede Alvarez film is not going to be a Ripley story. They said what it's going to be and where it's going to be, essentially who's going to be in it. The synopsis for the Fede film has been very, was very light. It's just very brief. So we don't know that much about it, but it's clear at least now that the IP is in good hands. We'll see with the Fede film first, because that'll probably, I would imagine, debut by the end of this year, probably November, December, just seems like the right time. And then, of course, with the Holly series, which will probably come out next year, um, we'll see what they've been doing. We'll see if it's if if they can deliver. But it was just such a mess. Like, the, I, I can't even, I, and it, it, it's confounding to me how the studio, I mean, it shouldn't be because you have all of these people and all these working parts and movies are hard to make. And good movies are even harder to make. That's like alchemy where it just, it happens by chance or by luck, or you have someone like James Cameron or Ridley Scott, or again, arguably David Fincher, who is in there, who can pull that ship and who can um, pull it into the bay. Just, you know, just enough where other people couldn't do it. Um, but even still, and without them, and we saw what happened without them, it went everywhere. And, and I, I still don't understand why the people in Fox let what happened happened. I don't understand it. I don't understand how they fumbled the ball over and over and over. And then with the release before the release of covenant, they fumbled the ball so hard that they rewrote the film because they were scared. Like what the fuck I, but that being said, I'm excited to talk about or to read the listener feedback and to kind of barrel ahead. Cause that's what I feel like. And I've been feeling like this for, a while now, but certainly the past few weeks, now that the Alvarez film is in production in Budapest, I'm ready for the future. I'm ready to kind of move past all of this. I'm ready to see what the future, like what character we're going to be talking about in six months or what images we're going to be talking about in maybe next month when, if they drop anything on alien day, I'm so excited for that future and I'm ready to leave this behind. So with that said, Christian, you're going to read some uh, listener feedback. Eric Adams, who is familiar, I think, to most folks from the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy uh, podcast, he wrote us a really, really well thought out um, and and very long um, bit of feedback. And so I just need to get to it here. And I'm just going to hit a couple of the highlights from it. First and foremost, he he does call us out for the name calling. We used the words um, whiny and uh, whiny little brat a fair amount. And <laughs> I have to, I have to agree with that. No, 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 because it's not particularly professional. Um, and I do feel like if we take that, that step back and look at the, the events from a more objective, uh, point of view, our, our opinion of what was going on is not necessarily the only way that it can be looked at. And so without bringing Neil Blomkamp in here and asking him, Hey, were you doing this because you were being whiny or were you doing this for some other reason? Because a lot of these are, are written messages. They're, they're tweets, they're Instagram messages um, that there's, there's no inflection. There's no intonation in, in written text. So we're reading it with a certain idea of, of the intention of the person that wrote it. So I want to give Eric uh, credit for calling us out on that. Um, Next, we had, we'd asked, why didn't Blomkamp just release the script? Why doesn't he release this stuff? And Eric points out that probably because he doesn't own it. It's, it's owned by Fox. They're, they're, the possibility of there being an NDA, I don't know, because he has been very liberal with releasing the artwork. But 
the written thing may not be his to release. And maybe that's a frustration for him as well. He also pushed back on the idea that Blomkamp would necessarily be following in Cameron's footsteps, pointing out that he says, "Uh, this one feels like a myth. One of the earliest interviews has Blomkamp being directly asked which film is his favorite. And after thinking about it, very specifically points to the original, not Cameron's sequel. And uh, even points out that the the life-size sculpture, uh, not life-size, the sculpture of the alien that um, Joe Rogan has now with the four arms is actually the closest to Giger's original design of any film that's ever been put out after the original. And so he's feeling like uh, Blomkamp may actually have been more inspired by classic Ridley Scott than, than by James Cameron. So those are some highlights there. What do you guys think? I'll just jump in quickly and then I want to clear space because I've been, I've been talking a lot, but to me, just to the language thing, I agree with Eric on that. And I know that I'm very guilty of it. And I think it's because, because this dredges up very painful memories in some strange ways, even though it shouldn't, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I think I've taken a lot out on Neil Blomkamp over the years, um, in this show, but also just in other settings. And I have gained more empathy for him through doing this little series. And so I do want to apologize for that. And, you know, I, I, I like I said, I, I would be the first to praise the shit out of this thing if it got made and it was great, you know? So like, I think, I think we need to be mindful of the things that we say and having, I, I, I will close that little thought by saying that a major reason why I feel so passionately negative about this. And I still mostly do is because of language that was used against me when this was, you know, a thing. And when I was arguing with people and getting, you know, bullied on social media. And I think that I, I have now sort of perpetuated the cycle of bullying to Neil Blomkamp. And you bet your ass that if I had a chance to direct an alien film, I would have done absolutely everything at my disposal to get the opportunity to do it. And I think I've kind of lost sight of that a bit because I've been blinded again a little. So yeah. So I just want to agree with Eric on that and to apologize for being insensitive in the way that I've been talking about him. This has been like a a therapy session though, on some level, because this really has been an open wound for whatever reason in, in the the fandom. So yeah, maybe the first episode, we were a little more stormy than we needed to be, but uh, then the second one we were norming and now this third one we're performing, right? That's how the therapy goes. I love that. (laughs) Storming, norming, performing. That's a thing. I love it. I I was just going to say, yeah, I really appreciate appreciate the feedback that uh eric has given us here and i just think it's it's some it's a challenge right patrick i feel like it's especially with in your experience but we all feel and have grown up with this franchise this saga being a part of our our personal identities and our in our lives and we're sharing it with our children and we have rooms upstairs in our houses full of action figures and books and posters and and stuff like that and so it it's just um deep down in our hearts it it means a whole lot to us and and to a lot of people that are listening to us and so i appreciate the groundedness that i think we need to just always be mindful of when we're talking about this because it it's just Neil Blomkamp is a person too. And, and um, I know we always try to respect everybody and I'm, I'm not saying that we, that uh, 
we're not out here making this podcast to offend anyone or or anything like that. I just think we're like truly telling everyone in the world how we how this made us feel. And um, Christian, again, to bring it back to your point, what you brought up in part two is just like we're we're all looking at this with what we hope and dream of it to have been or it to be during that time. So it means a lot to us. And, and, you know, sometimes when we're, when we feel many things about something, we maybe sometimes act like children about it and say things like whiny brat. And so, (laughs) um, but no, thanks Eric, because I think that, I think it's great to just, to just remember, you know, why we're here. And and there is a level of professionalism. I think now that at the level we're at and, and the amount of people that listen to us, and I guess maybe we do have some influence out there. Um, so it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a good thing to hear, but you know, sometimes we may act like little, little children. Okay. Take it or leave it. Just kidding. Stop being a whiny brat. <laughs> Stop it. That is Come a on, joke. guys. I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I agree with Eric. I even mentioned to Jamie on my own. I was like, Jamie, I feel like I said, I didn't even know what I said, but I felt bad about it like pretty much immediately. Because I think once we all started talking about it, it's easy to sort of just jump on the statement of, what was just said and, and sort of like, yeah, yeah, that's it. He's a whiny little, you know, um, and to your point, Patrick, if that were me, I would absolutely post everything and anything I had because he was getting validated by it. I mean, look at the feedback. Everyone was wanting more. Why wouldn't he, he was feeling good about it. I would have like, Hey, this is something that I, you know, it's an idea that's cooking that clearly is taking holds of the consciousness out there in the fandom. So I I don't begrudge him that. Um, I think, you know, yeah, you could look at the timing and it, it, there's a whole world, there's a whole political world that we didn't even, you know, that we're probably not aware of what was going down other than it was... It was messy. Let's just put it that way. And I think we were reacting because it was such a part of, uh, it is such a part of our lives. We were acting like, hey, no, I want this and this, you know, not cool. But um, I don't begrudge anyone wanting to have their or leave their mark on this franchise. I would agree. I think I've read Eric's um, long posts and uh, you know he had a lot of great things to say uh i can also um always have to keep my own ego in check just because behind the scenes we work hours to put the stuff together to edit this stuff to get together to just make this show what it is it just takes a lot you know everyone who runs a podcast knows um or who has kids (laughs) they know uh what uh something entails and so sometimes i can read things and think do you know how long I spent working on that? But I think Eric had some good points for sure. Um, and I have to remove my own ego and just look at things from a different perspective. But I also realize text is volatile. We bring to, when we read text, we imbue it with how we're feeling. We imbue it with how we believe the other person might be feeling based on our own feelings. And so oftentimes, or sometimes I, 
I can do that with things that I read, especially things that I read that might be a little bit critical of, of an episode or what people say in an episode thinking, Hey, you weren't on the show and it's okay. And you can, it's easy to criticize. And, you know, we, we live in a world now where criticism is, is, is in, we discussed this before. It's like, it's like the new normal just to criticize everything. So I, I will, I will react to criticism negatively quite a bit. Well, as it relates to perfect organism, because it's the show that I started and I, I put a lot of time and effort into it. And so, you know, but not everything is going to be rosy and and pretty. And I think it's it's good for us to have checks and balances. And so I appreciate what what Eric wrote uh, to the points being made. I also believe that we have an emotional stake in this franchise, or certainly an emotional stake in the original trilogy with Ripley. We feel ownership of her, not like. And I don't mean that in a literal sense, in an emotional sense, in a psychological sense. She's with us. She's lived with us. Those characters have lived with us all of our lives. And so when we have some someone coming in with different ideas about this character, it's like, what? What are you going to do? What? How, how dare you? And it, it, again, uh, it, 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 you know, it reminds me of like Star Wars or whatever. And when changes are made by the director and you, we feel ownership, like you can't do this. This is this is my thing now, you know, when in fact it, it really isn't, it really, it never was. We just, you know, we, we saw ourselves in it and we liked it and we enjoyed it, but they're free to do whatever they want to do. Um, so that was sobering. Uh, and I, I yeah, I, I, I really appreciate uh, the time that Eric took cause he wrote a lot. So if anyone's listening, if you want to go check out what Eric had to say, it's on, uh, the comments on episode one of the Blomkamp coverage. So check it out. So this is from Twitter. Uh, this Twitter user is named Design on Your Own Soul, and he is responding to, I believe it's episode two of our Blomkamp coverage, and he says, Covenant, I really enjoyed its back-to-basics approach, yet it has flaws, but I've become more forgiving over time. Even Prometheus has grown on me. Yes, it's visually stunning, but it has some big ideas that help it overcome running in a straight line. Uh, that's essentially what he said. And he's really responding to what we were talking about in terms of what Covenant became in light of the news about Blomkamp. So there are, of course, many people out there who enjoy Alien Covenant for what it is. Um, there's a lot of people who don't. Uh, his next statement is, could the Blomkamp film exist in an alternate universe? We're all familiar with the multiverse with Marvel and even Oscar winning everything everywhere all at once. I'm sure both Blomkamp and Alien, I'm sure both Blomkamp's Alien and Alien 3 could exist without Alien 3 and Resurrection being canceled. Love the podcast. So, I mean, we've, we were talking about this before as well, like this alternate universe kind of going back and then going forward. We've seen it in other films before. Um, even in the Marvel universe, you see like, there'll be large portions of Marvel films that take us, you know, 20 years in the, in the past. And, and then we're watching the film or even uh, what's that? The Scarlett Johansson. What's that movie that she was in a sort solo project with Marvel black widow. Is that her black name? Widow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't watch. So with black widow, that was a film that was again, Marvel decided to make a film uh, starring black widow after she had died. So it can be done. 
Um, at this point, I don't think that this is going to happen anymore. You know, Sigourney Weaver will be 74 this year. I, I just, I think this pipe dream is a, will always be a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. Um, but interesting comments. Black Widow is set before her death in the the, the previous film. Maybe it's made clear with a vest that she's wearing, which is kind of funny. But So Tom Vidovich uh, just added, uh, I remember I was on Twitter the night Blomkamp started tweeting out concept art for the project with no accompanying text. And it was clearly for an alien sequel to Ripley. So wild. Kevin Selinger said, I always got the sense that Fox used the positive reaction of Blomkamp Blomkamp's posts as leverage to force Ridley Scott into making a more xenocentric Prometheus sequel. Well, if you don't give us what we want, we've got this kid over here that will, in quotes, he put. So kind of interesting, um, I think, especially when you guys uh, were just directly speaking to the fact that, you know, Ridley was maybe I'm calling it people pleasing a little bit, but but just wanting to, you know, I remember the interview uh with him saying you know they want the alien back well i'll give them the alien and kind of just blowing the lid on um not really going the engineer route uh or the storyline that he brought up the big ideas you know that he brought up in prometheus and really bringing it i guess back to you know the the basic sort of it, the tropes we've seen before and and the the storyline i guess that that we've already seen really uh and then using david in the way that he he used him in a sense but um yeah j- just a great uh couple comments there i don't know what do you guys what do you guys think on that well i have a uh, an interesting thought that this is that Kevin is making me think about, which is that um, this is also, you know, we've talked about the Blomkamp film being a case study in uh, how, you know, Covenant got changed. And we've talked about it as something that, you know, doesn't exist, but it exists as like the negative of itself. So we can kind of deduce what it would have been, but we haven't really talked about it as a case study in Ridley Scott yet. And I think that's a really good point because we haven't obviously had Ridley on the show <clears throat> yet, Mr. Scott, we know you're listening. You're pumping this in the car right now. Um, you know, hopefully that'll change someday. But until it does, uh, we, we have had many people now on both of our shows, because of course we have two, you know, podcasts dedicated to Ridley Scott, you know, affiliated things. We have we've had many people who have worked with him on the show before. And the the overwhelming majority of them say something to the effect of really gets what he wants, right? Like he has so much power and he is such, I mean, he's literally a a knight, you know, (laughs) he's like, she's just a a living icon. And we have, you know, proposed on some episodes that that could be part of the issue with some of his more recent work that he has been surrounded by people who will kind of do what he wants them to do. I think, you know, if we go back to, um, not dangerous days, uh, furious gods. What's the Prometheus, the yeah, furious gods, the Prometheus documentary that Charles made, you know, you can see a lot of that in that documentary where people are interacting with him. You know, he walks into the art department and it's like everybody, it's like the Pope showed up, you know, in Rome or something. It's this huge deal. Right. And it, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve that. He's, he's an iconic filmmaker who has done some of the great work of the 20th century and 21st century for what it's worth. But what's so fascinating with this Blomkamp movie is it is, I think undeniable that it's non-existence 
altered the course of Alien Covenant, which is a film that not only did he direct, but he executive produced. So this is a Ridley Scott film that was irrevocably changed by the possibility of a film that never got made. And how much of that was Ridley caving? We don't know for sure. He seems very clearly in interviews to be suggesting that it was not anything to do with him and and that he was kind of upset at some of the decisions that were made to make it more creature centric, et cetera. But it's, it's, it's weird because it's almost like this moment of fallibility for him very publicly where we see this as maybe it's kind of an embarrassment for him that as Kevin was saying that like this young, you know, guy from South Africa, like almost got this movie made that would have kind of negated his possibility of continuing his work on the franchise had it happened. And um, the fact that people seemed more excited about this unmade alien project than they did about Covenant, I think that must have been a strange thing for an 84-year-old or whatever he was, 82-year-old at the time to uh, experience, you know? Like, that must have been kind of a disembodying experience for him. So again, that empathy thing is coming up. And Ridley Scott is somebody who... I think we all feel very safe shitting on sometimes because it's clear that we adore him and that we would not be here tonight if Ridley Scott didn't exist because Alien is not Alien without Ridley Scott. Obviously, Dan O'Bannon was the seminal part of it. H.R. Giger, you know, there are many people who are important, but Ridley Scott directed it. Ridley Scott did it in a way that nobody else could have done it. And that's why we're here tonight is because that movie was made with him at the helm. So I think, again, we all get away with using language about Ridley Scott that I think is kind of unacceptable. Like all of the memes about him being like this old, stubborn douchebag, like it's kind of shitty because like I think he hurts too sometimes, you know? I think that like we only see him as this power player, but like this is a good example of a moment where like he kind of wasn't. That's a painful thing. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve criticism. Obviously, he deserves criticism, but I think it's a it's a call to remember that like he is also a human who's getting old and seems to be kind of afraid of it and uh, has lost two of his brothers and, you know, kind of trying to do what he can with the time that he has left. And and I think he deserves a little bit of patience too. Absolutely agreed, Patrick. I was thinking about uh, that, the same line of discussion uh, as we move on in terms of Ridley Scott. And I personally believe now I don't have any evidence um, to go on in terms of things that were either in an interview or even an interview with him or even things that uh, Fox exec said. But I feel like and I felt like and still feel like that with Covenant, there were some things that were out of his hands. He went, was going to make another film and Fox was like, hey, do you see what's going on here? We got to do something different. This is the film that you want to make paradise lost is not the film that people want to see. So we're going to have to retool this. You're going to have to come up with a new story that can dovetail in with Prometheus, that it's more acceptable. It's going to play into what the, the people clamoring for the Blomkamp film want to see. And I believe that was out of his hands, that he wasn't in control. He is very powerful. He is, he has been knighted. He was an executive producer, but he wasn't pulling the purse strings. Ridley Scott was not funding alien covenant. 20th Century Fox was, and that's where the buck stops. And it was clear to me, and I don't know about everyone else, it was clear that he made a film he did not want to make. He made a film, threw a bunch of aliens in it, uh, or enough aliens in it, and uh, and you could kind of tell 
by watching the movie where it kind of veered off and it was like there were there wasn't as much heart in it now with prometheus i felt ridley's heart in it even though the movie wasn't as successful it was going to be covenant i didn't feel it i didn't feel it in the aesthetics i didn't feel it in in much it just felt like okay let me get this film done and i'll move on to something i really want to do um and i i think to your point patrick we should give him credit for that I, again i don't know for sure what was going on but it's clear things were out of his hands and uh as powerful he's as he might be he is not all, all powerful and unfortunately covenant suffered because of it and i think at the end of the day when we were talking about assigning blame either to blomkamp unfairly or to ridley scott unfairly the blame falls squarely on 20th century fox they're the ones who came in and said this isn't the movie that we want to make we want to make a movie based off this they shifted course and had some things rewritten and they're like okay ridley can you please direct this film do you there's some things in here you i'm sure you'll probably love but direct this film and we brought in this other writer to kind of clean things up a bit or whatever um and I, again i think it's just important to know where the blame lies um in terms of the mess that was the release of covenant the rewriting of covenant and the aftermath of it can i add to that jamie great points i just want to connect the dot to that long spiel I gave in the beginning of this episode um, to the fact that to your point about Fox, you know, being the studio overseeing this, I really honestly think a lot of it comes down to them protecting their investment and going back to the equation that works. We need to fill it with aliens and guns and action and, you know, whatever that looks like, but you need to have these things in it because we know that it's going to fill the seats and bring money in and hopefully um, not just allow us to break even, but hopefully allow us to to gain some profit off of this film. And we don't really care how that's going to happen. I'm sure the conversation does, doesn't go that simply, but I just want to say that I think throughout this time, that's a huge part of a lot of these decisions being made and Ridley did what he did and and we still got a, a cool movie like we we really all appreciate the things about it that we like about it um but it definitely widens the gap of the what if what if this other film was made and could it have blown things out of the water could it could it have brought in you know more money which is just it's just sad that I think we see it a lot more now Hollywood rev reverting back to the equation that works. And it's a lot of things you can tell what's going to happen, or you can guess the ending um, in a sense, right. Or, or whatever that is. Um, but it's also really awesome to see movies like um, everything everywhere all at once, who I don't think, followed the equation whatsoever and made such an amazing film that was awesome that won Oscars that won so many awards and it's like hey again what if this other film was made like that didn't follow the equation that brought in a lot of um brought Ripley back brought you know all of these things and um you know could it have been something grandiose we you know we don't know so um, yeah, just just uh, really interesting, and it's just too bad now that m that money controls so much of the artistic ability um, these days. That said, uh, I want to read uh, something from Xander about his experience as we continue to uh, read listener feedback. 
So Xander says, so whenever the first artwork got released, I got excited. I mean, Hicks is my favorite character in the series. So seeing this what if was like a nerd high. I even photoshopped an image of Hicks with his scar because I didn't like how extreme it was in the concept art. I agree. I was excited. Neil Blomkamp. I was excited. Neil Blomkamp wasn't my first choice as a director, but I was able to roll with it. I love Alien 3, but this what if would have been interesting. I agree with you guys. It'd probably be bad. You guys brought up so many good points with this minute. With this miniseries about Neil Blomkamp's unmade Alien film, it makes me think he could have filmed a few scenes or even a fake teaser for it on his own with the resources that he has. With how much passion he's, with as much passion he's had for this, for this, and how much he's talked about it, you'd think he would have done camera tests or even a short test film of a scene or two. Just food for thought. So good point, Xander. I, I you know, I, I think everyone was experiencing their own high their own what ifs with this movie um i certainly was i i hadn't been that excited about a movie in since honestly i mean i was it was going to be everything it's interesting that none of it seemed to show up in the oat studios projects which came after this after the cancellation uh you know that would have been a place where he could have made his alien film with the serial number you know filed off he even had sigourney weaver in one of the pieces so that's kind of you know the the difference with machete was that it was a trailer specifically made for grindhouse so money was given to go make that um whereas this would have been something he would have done had done out of pocket but that's what oat studios was so if ever we were going to see that version he could have brought michael bean and sigourney weaver in and made something I don't know, but that's a good point. One from Sean Holder. Um, Let's see what you guys think about this one. So he writes, Blomkamp has killed his rep as far as I'm concerned. I would never again take an announcement of a major project involving him remotely seriously. Between the failure to produce this and a Robocop legacy sequel, he was also involved with at another time. He's the man with the largest amount of hot air in Hollywood. What do you guys think? I think that uh, much like everyone, we're all when we're public figures, you're open to criticism. And I think um, we can be kind and um, be fair minded with Blomkamp, but also level some objective criticism to some of the decisions that he's made. And I think that there are some there are valid things that have been said about him. Um, At the same time, uh, you know, I'm friends with people who work in the industry and their projects fall through all the time. So Patrick made this mention before. This is not a new thing. The only thing that was new or different was that Blomkamp was posting about these projects over and over and over, which is something like uh, my friend who is a director, he doesn't ever post about his projects ever because he and he's got like six of them going right now. He's never do it. Why? Because you don't know if it's going to happen. So maybe through this, Blomkamp's learned some lessons to keep things close to you. Um, because when you put it out there, it changes. Maybe someone picks up on it. Maybe a studio head is reading your tweet and thinking, why is he talking about this? We're not even officially greenlit yet. The script isn't even done. What's going on? Is he, he signed an NDA or, or whatever. I don't know, but like, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. So I think, uh, there's credence to it. Do you think at any point he had the okay or was it like totally rogue? Do you think other people were sort of whispering in his ear, Hey, there's, there's some feedback about this. Keep posting. Or do you think it was just him completely? I think it could have been 
all, all of those things. And I mean, honestly, like these people have agents, they have managers, they have people, they have press people there. There's, you know, he could have had a few couple drinks one night and was like, I'm going to post this, whatever, you know, but like, it's, I, I think a huge part of it too is like social media really isn't that old of a thing, right? Like it's still this medium that we're all navigating. And I think especially five, six years ago, it, I think the, the world that was Hollywood in so closely to that medium, um, was still trying to like hold the reins and what do we put out there? How do we let, you know, cause we all can post anything at whatever at any time. Right. So it's like, maybe there, maybe there wasn't the legal precedence that there should have been or is nowadays. And so, yeah, I mean, who knows? That's kind of why I was saying, like, I think Vaughn camp was kind of just out here in the wild west of social media land sharing whatever he wanted and, and sure it was getting, noticed and so he could have been leveraging that maybe people were saying things to him like hey i don't maybe you shouldn't be doing that and and you know could have led to the demise of this film not being made too could have added to that at least but um yeah i think they were just still trying to figure out how to even use social media as a tool to to influence and and do whatever with too so it's just uh it was a wild time i think well, he is, and I don't think we should lose sight of this, and definitely uh, abnormally public about this stuff. And that, you know, it's easy to look at him as maybe he's kind of an outsider. He doesn't play by the Hollywood rule book a little bit. But, like, then you go back to District 9. That was produced by Peter Jackson and Carolyn Cunningham, his production partner that did Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like, he, he's part of the Hollywood system. So I don't think he was you know, unaware of what he was doing or the ramifications of it. I just think he was kind of cavalier with his uses of, of social media. But what's, I guess what's frustrating to me, and I say this with empathy from Neil Blomkamp, it's frustrating to me that he clearly has never learned a lesson from the alien experience because it happens so many more times. And what came out of that was this narrative that he is somebody who does not finish projects, you know, and, and when he does now, they're not very good. And that is something that I don't think we can give him a pass for. Like, I think he knows, I think he knows what he's doing and I think he's doing it largely intentionally. There's a comment from Spencer LaSalle. Um, I will never not be mad that this movie didn't get made and government covenant was made instead. Blomkamp is literally the perfect guy to take over the alien series. I think that's a, a sentiment we see quite a lot. Um, and just to add to that, a couple more thoughts. And these, by the way, these are coming from the Facebook thread where this first episode of our series which was originally posted. And then there's a couple in here from the thread that just went up today for the new episode that was posted. So uh, if you want to participate in this stuff, please go to our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok um, and Twitter for what it's worth. And uh, please participate because we do like to read some of these comments. So just briefly, um, Dominic Kulsar says... Well, I do see that Blomkamp's doing all that he can to maintain an online relationship with his fans on Twitter. I like his work very much, and I suppose it's been an embarrassing situation having so many fans wanting to know about what was going on there, and still they want him to do his Alien movie. But I think he's trying to get on with his own creative existence that has nothing to do with Alien, and he's expected to be the person who gives his fans all the information that they want. Then they're not as bothered about Robocop or Halo. Meanwhile, 
I remain a fan of Chappie and Elysium as well as District 9. So I think that's a nice um, you know, reminder that not everybody shits on these movies as, as much as as we might, especially Chappie for what it's worth. Uh, Leon Harris also, just so we part of this, he says, for those of us paying attention before and after Covenant even had a title, it was fairly clear Blomkamp was used more or less as the fall guy, a way to gauge audience expectation for any new alien film, which I think is an interesting point as well. And I'll wrap it up with our final one, and then we can revisit any of these you'd like to talk about. Um, our our longtime email friend, Magnus Schulquist wrote us a great message, which I'm just going to read a little excerpt from. I do want to say he started off by saying how much he missed having Andy on the show. So he was excited that she was back on part two. Uh, and then he goes to say, I remember the Covenant poster with the engineers getting overpowered by aliens. Some of you mentioned the poster. I wish that they had done something like that with Covenant. Engineers versus monsters. Hell yeah. More engineers would have been so much more interesting than a movie about androids. Try to expand the franchise instead of repeating things. Uh, and he says, Ridley Scott should be involved with the art department, and that's that. He shouldn't be a director and not a producer, since he might be able to affect the story. As far as Covenant is concerned, and the focus on androids, I'm afraid that would be, uh, I'm afraid that he would be able to affect the story for the worst. So again, very different viewpoints. It, it's it's to this day something that people have, you know, very mixed feelings about. Not just. The Blomkamp film, obviously, but Covenant, and especially Covenant as a result of the Blomkamp thing, it's 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 left all of us in a state of perpetual what if, uh, which is interesting to look back on. I think it also has made us examine our our own role as gatekeepers, which is not usually a positive thing, right? But the idea of loving a film series or whatever, and then having something so very very different added. Uh, in this case, um, with Prometheus, and people having a very strong reaction of, of you know, saying no, I don't want that to be part of my thing, and then other people coming in saying, actually, I like Prometheus better than your thing, and so I'm going to put it higher, and so you you get this conflict. And when Blomkamp came in with something that looks like the old, right, but might have concepts in it that actually don't make us feel good. I think some people ended up being gatekeepers to a, on a, on a second degree. You know, I'm, I'm gatekeeping the thing that you snuck through my gate. I, I don't know. I don't know how to quite put that, but, and then covenant still didn't deliver on promise on the Prometheus promise. So you have this, this very strange place of people making all of these distinctions and borders and everyone was separating themselves. Um, I don't know. And, and I don't know that that was Blom. I never believed that that was Neil Blomkamp's intention. I think Neil Blomkamp wanted to make the alien film that he thought would be really cool. And boy, just stepped into it. And maybe, maybe in the end, as Jamie said, maybe it's Fox's fault forever, even toying with green lighting something in the midst of a series of films. If they're, if they're going in a new direction, that's probably not the right time to take a 180 and head in a different direction when things are not on solid ground something much more established like star wars can do those sorts of pivots star trek can do those sorts of pivots alien has been jumping from supposedly visionary filmmaker to visionary filmmaker and not having much connective tissue between them but fans actually crave the connectivity and that's part of why you can't have an alien 3 and blomkamp's sequel to aliens in the same world fans want things to to fit together and and tell a narrative 
And I think that it was just a misstep. In terms of assigning blame, this is something I've been thinking about as we have been having this discussion. I feel like it's human nature. We always want to assign blame for things. If something doesn't go right, um, or if something does go right, people want to take the credit or specific people want to take the credit. And I think re- hearing some of these comments, some people are like, oh, no, Blomkamp's fine. Other people are like, oh, no, he's he's this, he's that. Or people are blaming Ridley Scott. And I think um, that's an error uh, when you blame someone you don't know for something happening that you don't like. We don't really fully know what the story is. Um, there are some things that we can piece together. For instance, as, as I was saying earlier about Ridley Scott and what did he wanted, and what he wanted to do with Covenant, as opposed to what he had to do with Covenant, that seems fairly obvious. But I don't. I think having uh, or someone else made a, a comment about being angry that Blomkamp's film didn't get made, but Covenant did. Covenant was already going to be made in whatever form. It was already. In pre-production and production, it wasn't a, a film that got made instead of Blomkamp's film. It was a film that was going to be made, that was on the docket. It was greenlit. Sets were built. People were cast. Um, but So I think hearing all of these comments and, and listening to the feedback, we have, our, we have our own ideas of how things should go or how things might have gone. And we assign blame to people that are comfortable for us to assign blame to. And most of the time it's strangers because you can blame a stranger for something going wrong. Cause it doesn't, there's no consequence for that. You just close your phone or put your phone down or close your laptop and go about your day. You blame the person that you're comfortable with for whatever issue is going on. And that's that. And I think that that's dangerous. I think that it's really dangerous to do that. Um, I've been guilty of that too. Certainly I've been guilty of that. But I, what I love about this final discussion that we're having is it's really kind of opened my eyes. I feel like it's opened all of our eyes to like, hey, this is something was happening probably greater than we can understand. And Blomkamp isn't the fall guy. He isn't the fall guy. And I think it's easy to make him the fall guy. It's easy to, um, to I don't know, talk about him in negative terms. Uh, in terms, if it was a film he didn't like, or if, if because Covenant was shitty, like it's Blomkamp's fault, Covenant was shitty. And we've been through that before. We know it has nothing to do with him. But I think moving forward, um, I'm going to be more careful about assigning blame. Um, but I also think we live in a world where people don't like to fess up to their, to their own um, portion of why something went wrong. Like whether a movie like I was just seeing about um, Shazam essentially flopped uh, its first weekend in theaters. And um, one of the stars of Shazam said, oh, it's how they marketed it. Well, it might just be that it's not that good of a film, too. It might be a little bit, maybe the marketing, but also maybe the film could be better. So I feel like taking ownership in something, and I, I feel like I just said this in another episode, but taking ownership in some, why something fails or why something isn't good as an artist, as a creator makes you better. It makes you look better saying, you know what? I could have done better. And I feel like as a show, as a, as a cast of co-hosts on the show i think we have done that tonight like hey we can do better in how we talk about people we can do better how we assign blame or what we read in texts um so this has been fairly enlightening for me and thank you to everyone who's written in who's uh who has listened to the show over and over and over and over and over every episode that we release um we love your feedback and you keep us honest so thank you for that thanks for that jamie 
I I would really love to add because this is something that I feel very strongly in my heart about. Um, and as you guys know, um, I'm sober and I follow a 12 step program and that whole program is about, um, not living your life with resentments. And I think society has gotten so good at pointing the finger. Um, it's kind of like what we do now. We point that if you don't, aren't happy with something or you're experiencing something that makes you a certain way and it's negative, you have to find someone or something else to blame it on. And I just think it's always really important um, to just remember that we can't control any of these things. Um, if Hollywood, you know, we have our gripes, but if Hollywood puts out a movie and we're buying into that or and we choose to go to the movie theater to watch that movie, you chose to pay the money to go see that film, you know, and it sure they're marketing it to us, right? To want to go see that. But um at the end of the day, if it's you have to remember that it there are things that we have experienced personally or a certain way that you maybe um viewed these films when we were younger that made us feel a certain way about something um so you can't um i know this is a, a place of like therapy christian to your point this this whole um um this part just talking through this right really helps us to understand and it's awesome to hear the growth that we're all um, I, th I think experiencing talking through this and, and Jamie, I'm sure you've seen over the years of even just starting this podcast. Um, so it's, it's great that we, we can find these sorts of humbling moments. And, and I just hope that we can too, like help people, um, be happy with what the content that we are getting, or at least find things that we can appreciate, um, ab about these stories that are given to us because, because some moments of Prometheus, there, there are moments of covenant that are really great and really present some like really cool ideas, um, that you can love. Is it, is it the first alien film we've, you've ever seen alien? No, it's not. Are we ever going to get that again? No, because that was made for what it was made and it was made back in the seventies and it was a masterpiece. Right. And so it's just like, you don't want that again. You want alien to be as great as it was. Um, and so it's, it's, but we live in this, you know, society that, that, um, sort of promotes that finger pointing that, that putting blame, um, a little bit. And so it's just a learning experience every day. I, I have to learn to try not to have resentments towards things. And, and it's, it's hard to, to not when you love something so much and there's a studio out there doing whatever they want with it or dropping the ball or, or whatever. But, um, you know, if, if you're going to buy into that, you, you kind of just have to accept it for what it is. Um, or else like call up a billion call up James Cameron and make your own film. You know, it's fine. It's fine. Try to get some investor money and make your own alien movie. It's, it's okay. You know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's just great to hear and, and see, um, the things we've talked about. And, uh, just like I said, listening to, to part one, part two, and then, um, luckily being able to join you guys on this round table in this, in this third, uh, session of talking through this, just to, just to hear how, where we're getting to. And I just think there's a lot of, there's a lot of hope and, um, 
excitement for what's to come. And I, and I'm just like, so, so excited to be living that with you guys and, and just can't wait to, you know, in six months and a year to be talking about, um, you know, what, what new, what new things in the alien saga are going to be out there. So really cool. I love it, Perry. As we pull into the station here on this mini series, I have to just remark on how different this is ending than I thought it would. You know, I, I really did not expect it to have this journey. I think we were kind of arriving at this moment of, if not reconciliation, fuller understanding. But I think Eric's comment really sparked something that we needed tonight as we kind of close this out, which is this sense of like humility and empathy. And I, to take you behind the scenes for a minute, Jamie and I had a full out fight about the Blomkamp miniseries, uh, you know, because for years I've been saying, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't, it's just, it's just a painful part of my fan life. And it's like, I don't want to revisit it. And he kind of pushed on that again in December, right before we shot the short film. And I, and I reacted with, I was couching it in language like, oh, that's going to be too much research or like, I don't want to listen to Joe Rogan or, you know, all these other excuses. But I step back now and I look at myself and clearly I was saying that because I didn't want to admit the truth, which is that I didn't want to revisit this. And that was it like that. And, and so I can make all the excuses in the world to get around the fact that I just didn't want to talk about this thing. And um, it's been a real growth for me, like personally. And, and, and I, I feel, and I hope that you all do too. And I kind of feel the vibe tonight, uh, a lot of healing coming out of this conversation which is not where I thought we would get to. I really thought this thing was going to end end in flames, but it ended with something like a Phoenix, which is pretty cool. So, so thank you. And, and that, again, that wouldn't have happened, not just Eric, but everybody else who has been writing in and saying, I mean, we have, our email has been blowing up lately and we're going to get a lot of that in other episodes, but like the sense of community right now is really strong and beautiful and healthy and vital. And um, and I hope that you're hearing that reflected in our voices tonight as we're here on the cusp of something coming out, talking about something that never did. And uh, so, so I, I wanted to kind of close my my participation tonight with that, with a thank you, and with a thank you especially to Jamie for pushing us to do this, but also a thank you to all of you for helping me to see this in in new and better ways. And um, and just with this this like overall appreciation for the fact that. The best episodes of our podcasts are always the ones that end like this. The ones that I remember are never the ones where we fight and we kind of argue and we have different, those are fun and people download those a lot. But the ones that I always like sit back on and go to bed thinking like, man, it's episodes like this, you know, where it takes a, a, an interesting turn and it ends in a place that is like genuinely healthy. So thank you to everybody. A couple really quick shout outs that I want to add here. One, a blood hut whose name I have been joking about for uh, years now, Bloodhut, is actually a very, very nice guy named Chris. Bloodhut is his music project, and it's awesome. And you should check it out at bloodhut.bandcamp.com. He's a longtime patron of ours. Thank you, Chris, for the support. And a very special shout out, very special, to Amanda Fisher, another patron of ours, who hosted an amazing playthrough of uh, an alien RPG scenario for many of us to attend. That was like just the most fun Saturday night I've had in a long time. We played. That was virtually. fun. Wasn't that awesome? And I was Foundry. like, I was like, this is going to be excruciating for me, Patrick. Like, yeah. I, and I was almost ducked out of it. Like five minutes beforehand, I was like, I'm not going to do this. I, you do, I, I don't think I can do this. 
And Patrick was like, are you sure? Are you sure? People really want it. And we played it and it was great. So thank you, Amanda. It was so much fun. And I won't spoil the ending, but Micah, my wife, who was playing it, won the scenario and in so far as you can win one and uh she did it by fucking all of us over hugely and it was one of the most fun like climactic cinematic rpg experiences i've ever had so thank you so much to amanda thank you to your friend john also who joined that was just amazing and i am so grateful that you did that for us because we will always remember it and now when we talk about the rpg we have actual hours of play experience together that will help us you know better do it and hopefully we'll be covering more of it in the future and we will be much better informed now so thank you to amanda Thank you to Chris. Thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you to all of you on the show tonight. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. I am filled with gratitude and filled with appreciation, and I did not expect to be in that place. Sounds good. Thank you for everyone uh, for coming on the show tonight, uh, for listening uh, through with us and talking with us or listening to it as we talk about Blumkamp. It's been it's also been surprising for me as well. Um, we're rolling into about. Five, four and a half weeks until Alien Day. We have a lot in store. Um, we've all of us have been sort of working around the clock, trying to get things done. As soon as uh, we finish this episode, I'm going to go and finish the first edit, so Patrick and everyone else can watch it and give some feedback. Um, so there's a lot in store. Um, we we are going to be unveiling T-shirts and special episodes and a lot. So thanks again, and we have a lot in store for you. Thanks, guys. To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.